Welcome to another ATP podcast at the end of another brilliant Miami Open presented by Ito. I'm Seb Lozier and shortly we will hear from two Americans, Michael Moe and Chris Eubanks. We'll get to know Argentine Sebastian Baez a little better and we talk present and past with journalist and tennis historian Joel Drucker. But first, a sensational start to 2023 has got even better over the past 24 hours for Daniel Medvedev as he made it title number four for the year in a fifth straight final to claim his first ever Miami Open title. Wow, that was impressive, Daniil. Congratulations on a fourth title this year, the biggest one yet. And it feels like you're back at your very best on the hard court. Yeah, at this moment, yes, I'm really happy. Today was a tough match. Uh, it was probably the hottest day and the most uh, humid during the day. It was uh, not easy conditions. I don't know if Yannick had a small injury or cramp. Uh, tough conditions. I was also struggling, tried uh, not to show it. Uh, yeah, I haven't uh, won such big title uh, in probably a year and a half, so then was uh, quite, quite, uh, quite shaky. Not, not even tight because, I mean, I'm not scared to win, but uh, still, the hands get a little shaky, so <laughs> to serve is a little bit tougher, uh, and I felt it actually at 2-0, so I'm happy that then I managed to kind of uh, get myself together and uh, close the match. You mentioned you haven't won a big title in a, in a while. What did you have to do to get back to your very best? Confidence. Uh, I managed to, yeah, to, to work hard. And uh, last year, I didn't manage to be consistent throughout the whole tournament many times. Uh, the two I managed to, uh, to do it, I won. And some, some tournaments, I had good matches. And then in semis or quarters, I would have one off match where I would not be at my best. And this would not be enough against uh, top players. And uh, here I managed to yeah, play a lot of great matches throughout the tournaments and uh, almost every tournament I was playing better and better and uh, yeah, I'm really happy. It's your fifth Masters 1000 title and I'm not sure she's watching but it's your first one as a dad as well. Yeah, well, I don't think my daughter definitely doesn't care if it's a thousand to 50 or a 500. I'm not sure she yet cares uh, about if I have a title or not, because probably she would be happier if I come home earlier. So, yeah, I'm just uh, really happy to win it for uh, everyone who, who is working with me. It's been a long journey. I uh, keep uh, my team almost as it is all the time, except for a few, uh, few, few things, and I'm really happy. Congratulations. Well done. Thanks. Ursin Caderas with the newly crowned Miami Open champion, Daniel Medvedev. It's an incredible run of form that Medvedev will take to the European clay courts. And the same can be said for 21-year-old Italian Yannick Sinner, who had a real statement win in his semi-final against Carlos Alcaraz, coming back from a set down to end the Spaniards' reign, for now, at the top of the Pepperstone ATP rankings. Sinner knows that this rivalry with Alcaraz is set to endure. Every time we play, we have good matches. Uh, every, every match is, is till now, it's, it's every, every match a close match. So I, I learn many things from him. I, I feel like he, he makes me a better player for sure. And he pushed me to the limit, no? which I'm trying to do with him. Obviously, I think at the moment he's, he's a little bit uh, on a higher level. He has um, everything is a little bit higher than, than my tennis is at the moment. But still, it's, 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 uh, I think we both we are very young. He is number one in the world again. So it's a, it's a huge... He had a huge season last year, so it's a lot of compliments to him and his team. So 
you know, I am, I'm just aiming to reach the level what, what he has, um, knowing that I can potentially do it. So it's, it's a, a lot of work to do. Um, there are many, many things to do on court and off court, but I feel confident, you know, to, to step on court to have, to have some, some, some good matches. Yannick Sinner on Carlos Alcaraz, and with their head-to-head now already at three apiece, it's a rivalry we can all look forward to. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. One of the big stories over the past few weeks has been the new faces of the sport truly coming to the fore in what's generally considered to be the start of a new era. But rather than forget what's gone before, leading tennis journalist and historian Joel Drucker told Jill Krabus that the up-and-coming players would be wise to learn from the past. Look, it's like any other craft, whether it's music or art. I mean, if I was a musician, I'd want to know who Bach was or who Beethoven was because these are the masters who've done it before me. And what techniques do they do? What music? I think there's a tendency in tennis, because it's so competitive, that we kind of subsume the past. It's like, well, this guy lost. He wouldn't be any good anymore. But go go watch it. For example, I'll show you the link between Chris Everett and Novak Djokovic. Look how they play. Look how they Tell play. me the link. The link is people who are balanced who could play with a phone book on their head, <laughs> who are such good footwork and are so good at hitting ball after ball, cross court and deep. I mean, and, and the language, I think sometimes we have some weak language for tennis, like call someone steady. No, Chris Everett, he's applying pressure. I mean, you know, Jill, you played at the highest level. Someone hits one ball inside your baseline by an inch, it barely catches your eye. Two, when someone is hitting three or four balls, four inches inside your baseline, you ask if you can get a lawyer. I mean, you are pinned. You're feeling pressured, and I think if people study that and learn from that, it creates a richer experience at all levels of the game. And you can it, it's not just our appreciation, but our, our technique. You can see things from what people did and how they won matches and, and how they fought psychologically. Where do you see the game going now? I think the game is going to be, hopefully, we see people like Carlos Alcaraz more all court, hopefully, that people are seeing, like I hear a phrase often, the game of today. And I think, I don't want to play the game of today. I want to play the game of tomorrow because the game of tomorrow is going to beat the game of today. And what do you feel like is the game of tomorrow? I think the game of tomorrow is going to continue to involve some of these incredibly lethal ground strokes. I mean, I, I was sitting courtside for a match between Davidovich, Fokina, and Garen the other day. And you sit courtside and you see how much more physical. We Don't call them clay court specialists. We have fast court specialists. What the game has become in the post-Lendl Agassi era, heavy ground strokes, quality ground strokes. However, the difference in that match was that Davidovich Fakina threw in a couple of slices, came to net a couple of times, and I think people are seeing, hmm, how does this work into the mix? The mix, and I don't know quite what it's going to be, but with people standing eight feet behind the baseline to return serve, I think a guy like Stefan Edberg with a kick serve would have a field day. Say, so I'm going to just... I'm not going to ace you. I'm going to hit a 79-mile-hour kick serve out to your backhand. I'm going to run to my right, and I'm going to hit a forehand angle drop volley. And I hope more players in their development phase learn that surely Alcaraz did. Look what Alcaraz... Don't you think when Alcaraz was 14, 15, he might have been spending 20 minutes just running that sequence? Well, I mean, I've heard Juan Carlos Ferro, that was the first thing he noticed about Alcaraz, was how at such a young age he was already willing to come forward. I think that's what what caught his eye from from my understanding. But when you're sitting courtside like that, I'm trying to think about your writing as well. Out of the last like 10 years, because the game has grown, has gotten more physical, 
what what do you feel like you've written mostly about the men's game? Is the physicality or is it the variety? What has stood out I to you? I would say the th- oh, that's an incredible question. Um, I think what has to what's probably it's probably the physicality. It's probably the power and that the court. This is kind of the post Luxalon influence. The court has become less of a rectangle and more of a circle. That people are 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 because you could hit the ball off the court now. Like when you were more playing angles, Jill, it was right. more you hit through the court. The ball went, you hit it straight and it went straight. Or you hit a cross court foreign and it still kept going straight. Now you hit if a righty hits a cross court foreign, that second ball needs to go west of the alley. And and so people are forced to cover so much more court and respond from it. I mean I think terms I, I think what I find myself migrating towards is a transcendence of the terms offense and defense. Defense, today's defense isn't your, the defense of your time. It's, some, it's not just like reset with a high deep one. It's like, no, you got to re-crush. And so you got to practice hitting cross-court backhands from four feet wide of the court. So the court is a much bigger amount of space to cover. Are you, are you contributing that mainly to the string? Because you said Luxon. I think it's a combination of things. I think I think the strings were kind of the final, you know, it's like a, a it's like a recipe of food. I think it was the two hundred backhand all along was propelling that as far back as Everett and Connors and Borg, and it kept and the and the rackets came along and the fitness and the sports training. There's so much more sports. There's so much more knowledge now about how to keep the body fit and supple so many more so much more money to give you the team to help you do it and then the strings about 20 25 years ago we ah the final thing the strings allow the contemporary player to generate tremendous racket hit speed and the string acts as a governor it's the exact opposite of the old days where the racket was kind of dead and the string was lively with like vs gut so the ability to generate racket hit speed and pace and spin i mean what did someone call a, a passing shot now is like a it's like a fast dipping curveball. Wow, do they? That's pretty cool. That's a, I like that, that description. <laughs> wouldn't that be? That's what yeah. Mark Kovacs yeah. told me that Oh, one. okay, Mark, yeah. A, a yeah. fast dipping curveball. So it's no longer where is the passing shot flat? Okay. If it's spin, well, it's probably less pace. Yeah. Now it's both. Yeah. And so it's wicked. That brings up an interesting question for me because um, as a writer... I guess mainly like how you push yourself, but how much, since you're so involved in tennis and already know so much, how much do you study those other aspects like strings, rackets, fitness, travel, recovery? How much as a writer do you study those things or do you pay pretty much attention to what's happening on the court? No, I like to, my supplemental work is like talking to coaches. Okay. Just talking to coaches and experts. That I like to think, it's it's funny. And it's kind of, it's kind of a, a, what would I say? 90% 90% of it is for the work so I can write stories. 10% is my own selfish player uh, desire to learn things. Oh, that might help me. Like a coach a coach gave me an insight into an electrolyte drink a number of years ago when I was playing in Texas. Um, and But to get back to the game itself, it's not always an extensive study. It's more peripheral because the real focus is on the matches themselves. But the thing is, well, what are the players doing away from the matches. Well, that's what I'm asking, yeah. Do you pay attention to that a lot? I like to talk to coaches about that. It's hard to to study that because I don't know it. I don't know what they're doing in Dubai in that off week. But what I can do is talk to the coach and find out about um, maybe a training routine, a drill, or to learn things. I think that that might be a new frontier in, in journalism because we're seeing more and more of these players have pit crews. You know, even 15 years ago, it was like, what, one coach? Had a coach, right. maybe a physio, maybe, but it was the tour physio. Now these players are having two to four people with them. So, and, and 
and those physio types are more important than the um, than the tennis guy. The tennis guy is incremental. I get it. He's going to give you some more scouting and all that. But the player knows a lot about the tennis. But the physio, the guy who can help keep the body strong, I mean, the, you know, Jill, you had a great long career. You would have played another 15 years if you had some of this I wish. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you played a long time. So so the question is, how do you understand, how do, how do we understand this stuff? And I think, I'm not going to just want to talk to the coach now. I'm going to want to start talking with the right. physios and see, what do you do? What's the stretching routine? What's the off-court routine? The nutrition but not I'll admit I haven't I'm still kind of lower division on understanding that stuff because it changes and every player has their own deal changes all the time it's yeah. not as we have a lot of data about the tennis piece where we know oh yeah right practice serves oh yeah cross courts and down the lines you know you watch I mean I asked Paul Anacone once about Roger in Dubai but what does Roger do in Dubai he goes doesn't do anything anyone else can't do he just does it he just takes to it quicker the same kind of two-on-one drills, 11-point games, all the stuff that every tennis player should mm. know. And since you've seen, seen these entourages come on tour with a lot of these players, have you visually seen a difference in your eyes with the way the players are playing? Or is it more about the physicality? No, again? I think it is. I think what the players see, so the commodity is going to be fitness and health. Everyone's going to match each other on that. That's why I'm going to go back to my, my beloved 70s volley. That's going to be the differentiator. Because if we're all equally fit, if we're all equally got our racket perfectly calibrated, and we all have our electrolyte drink, and we all have all our kind of hardware in order, so the upside is going to be which apps can we best avail ourselves of? Mm -hmm. Which app? Oh, wow. You mean you have a kick serve too? You have a kick serve and you can serve in volley? That's going to, so it's, got, it's always going to come back to the, the performance on the court. And do you, out of the men's game, do you feel like, are there favorite players that you like to write about? Like to write about or like to watch? Oh, both. You know, I have two, I, I look at my job in two ways. Professionally, think of me like a, it's like I'm like an ice cream critic. And I have to understand every flavor of ice cream because my obligation is to the reader. It's a good analogy. Is to, thank you. Is to, explain <laughs> to, is to explain to the reader, there's vanilla and there's chocolate and there's rhubarb. And there's, um, there's rhubarb and there's pralines and cream. And I've got to explain to you, that's my professional obligation. But I'm, and, and I'm going to bring that no matter who I'm writing about. Nonetheless, I have themes that matter to me. I have players I like. For example, I would rather watch Leila Fernandez than Juan Martin Del Potro. Del Potro is a great player, but it's like a music. Some people don't like Bruce Springsteen. Del Potro, for me personally, I'm left-handed. I'm 5'7", so you could see why Layla Fernandez lefty, would have appeal yeah. to me yeah. as, as a You can relate person. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, well, it's kind of, and it's kinesthetic. It's like, wow, that's what I should be doing on my forehand. And, but, but professionally, I wouldn't be doing my job if I was constantly, like, advocating, saying, why isn't Del Potro playing left-handed? <laughs> you know, like, I like Kazakh You like learning. Right, you well, like I like learning. learning. Well, look, yeah. I think the neat thing about this game, more than the team sports, is we can relate to it elementally. What, how many percentage of people go to tennis and they're watching themselves? I, I go to tournaments, I see people I play with, and they're talking to me about the players. Like my tall friend, he liked watching Del Potro. He, was, he liked Del Potro and he liked Burdick. He liked going to him. And my tenacious friend, he liked Nishikori and David Ferrer. And I'm looking for lefties, right? I'm looking for lefties and I'm looking for kind of disruptors. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so about those stories. And we're very grateful that you've been around the sport of tennis for so long to give us those stories. Do you have, I'm going to narrow it down a little bit, say maybe let's try the last five years. Have you had a favorite moment, favorite story that, I mean, I know you're proud of your writing, but that you're most excited about? 
did a story just a couple months ago. This came to mind since we're just thinking about it. I spent a few days with Brad Stein, the great coach. Yeah, Tommy and Paul. And I spent time with him in Fresno. And he was very generous with his time and his insight. And I got a sense of how he became Brad Stein as a person, as a player, as a coach. And one of the things that's neat about Brad Stein, he wasn't a world-class player. He And, and, and I think a world-class player becomes a coach. He is like a football team that automatically gets well past midfield. You know, if you're an X-rate player, you can show up with a player and he'll listen to you. Anyway, a guy like Brad Stein, he had to earn it. He, he was a fine college player, but he wasn't even a great college player. And so as a result, he had to really earn his stripes. And so that flavors every way he goes about coaching and thinking about the game. And he talks about, about players and some moments. And his willingness, though, someone in that position, you'd think they would say whatever it takes to keep the job. But no, he's, he's willing to say what they need to say. He's not a concierge. He's a consultant got to say a coach has got to be willing to be fired every day and tell a player this is what you need to know and I just I think I clicked with him because I guess I mean again at one level writing is meant to be analytical and distance at another level I think writers are drawn to their kind of subjects of choice it's like I liked of the great American generation I ended up writing a lot about Michael Chang and I think he was the one I found the most relating to of tenacity and all that and with Brad I think oh yeah I get it. You're kind of an undersized walk-on, and people don't think, and so you got to kind of prove it. It's just like the same reason why I like Jimmy Connors, why I like Jimmy Connors, and the same reason why I'm a little more of a Nadal than a Federer person. I kind of think, all right, this is kind of what life is about. You're kind of like a walk-on in life, and you got to kind of earn it. And so that story was really fun, writing about Brad, talking to students, his players like Tommy Paul and Jim Currier and Jonathan Stark, and he's... Um, a young guy he's working with named Ethan Quinn, who's a very promising junior. So I think taking in the Brad Stein journey. Is that getting those coaches insight again, right? They're so valuable. The coaches insight, but also kind of I think the quantity of time, is, as we both know, it's, it's not always easy to get, um, to get one-on-one time with active players. We negotiate You're for right. that in increments of five or ten minutes, so that's kind of quick. But when you can get a few days with someone who loves the game like Brad Stein, that's just gold. Thanks to Joel Drucker there. And if you'd like to hear from Brad Stein himself, check out last weekend's podcast where Nick McCarvel spoke at length with Tommy Paul's coach. It's been a breakthrough Miami for 26-year-old American Chris Eubanks, who made it right the way through to the latter stages to hit a career-high ranking. To find out a little more about him, let's head back in time to the summer of 2022, when Jill Kraber sat down with him and spoke, among other things, about training with the great Serena Williams. I can get very analytical, maybe even in my own head, about how I'm playing and what shots should I hit and this and that. And I think the biggest thing is I've never seen a laser-like focus like practicing with her. And it also in turn made me a lot more focused than practicing. We go out and we can practice with, you know, peers or players and you know, you, obviously you're intense, this is your job, this is your profession, this is how you make a living, but the way that she could dial in on every single ball is something that I feel like would even be missing in my own practices. Because, you know, you're playing a guy that you might play, and this when you miss a ball, I, no one's going to really say anything. Serena's the greatest tennis player of all time. I don't really want to miss too many balls with you when I'm on the other side from her. So just kind of having that awareness of being like, I need to lock in, I need to focus, I think was the biggest thing. And, and there's not that many people that I've practiced with that i felt that level of I don't want to call it tension, I'll just call it focus of practicing with. 
I mean, I think that's incredible because a lot of people say that when they do practice with the top is that sense of purpose and focus. But as far as the ball and the tennis, did, did that give you another whole level of belief that you can hang with that level? To some degree it did, but I it's I had seen her play so many times. I had watched her with strength. The, the weight of shot wasn't that big of a shot because I knew she hits one of the cleanest. She's one of the cleanest ball strikers ever. I, I That wasn't so much of a, wow, like this ball is, is – throwing me back I knew the ball was going to throw me back I knew if she laces that backhand a foot from the baseline I'm going to be in trouble so even coming out I said all right I want to make sure I don't miss I want to give her great practice let me give myself a little bit of space off the baseline to start off and then if I feel comfortable then we move in so nothing's uh too specific about the tennis per se right. but I think just mentally it was a totally mentally. different level yeah because you're also one that went to college and there's quite a few actually that I've spoken to that have gone that college route and learned a lot from that is that something that you felt like was important in your development 1000 percent, 1000 I knew going, coming out that there was no chance I was ready to go pro at 17 18 years old I think college really kind of prepared me it taught me time management it taught me to some degree professionalism I, I tried to be as professional as I could in college um, and I think when she, obviously once you turn pro it's, it's even it's an even higher level um, but for me the biggest thing was getting matches in college I knew I was guaranteed two matches every single week Friday Sunday sometimes we'd have a double header of two in one day so I knew I was going to be able to get reps I was going to be able to work on my game and I was going to be able to play in some uh, pressure matches some pressure pack uh, situations so kind of Owning my game style and knowing what I needed to do, and I think really, really helped me because a lot of times guys can go pro at 18 and 19, and if they're not really winning a lot of matches every week, it's tough to guarantee yourself two matches a week. It, yeah. it can be tough. So I think that was the big thing for me. Had a full support system at Georgia Tech, whether from the athletic trainers or the strength conditioning staff, nutritionists, everything, all backing you and wanting to see you do well was, was awesome for me. And I train there. I still see the same physios, the same strength conditioning coaches. Everything is it feels like I'm, I'm back in school again, minus <laughs> school, so that's always a fun time. And just talking about strength and conditioning in particular, that was something that you felt like you've gotten a lot better at, getting fitter and stronger. What in particular do you feel like has helped you? Any any sort of tactics that you've used? Um, not necessarily tactics. I, I think I, I've always been a big proponent of, you know, people will look at me and they say, oh, you know, he needs to get stronger, he needs to get stronger. And well, yes, that, that's very, very true. I've, I've fluctuated in my strength and my weight for a while even during the pandemic I when I knew we were going to be off for a while I said you know what I'm going to devote this time strictly to strength conditioning I'm going to put the rackets down for a while I'm going to get in the gym I did that and I put on about I put on about 20 pounds I would say and then the moment tennis started ramping up the weight started dropping off but one thing I noticed was but you put on 20 pounds like muscle yeah well not not solely muscle but it was I would say probably I think when I saw the nutritionist it was probably about 12 pounds of muscle okay. like because I was lifting for five five days a week um and I was hitting maybe an hour and I would just grab the racket go out and hit for maybe an hour and I I wanted to just stay still I wanted to work out I wanted to lift I wanted to stay still and not burn any extra calories so after doing that for you know six to eight weeks things start you start to tell the thing is when I got on the court and things started to run back up I never really felt a major difference in my tennis it, it wasn't anything that I said man you know I'm gaining so much more power on my serve or this that there wasn't really anything that was that that noticeable from my standpoint now coaches and trying to say oh you, oh you look stronger you look bigger but at the end of the day I'm my job is predicated on winning tennis matches so I need to make sure that at least I feel like I'm in a good position to win tennis matches so 
we did that for a while, and then after, I think I kind of hit a, a point where I was eating five, six meals a day. I, I couldn't do it anymore. I was wow. like, I'm, I'm, my tennis is ramping up. I can't eat that much anymore. So I kind of, I said, you know what? I'm going to continue to get my workout in. I'm going to eat clean meals, three or four, try to get three to four clean meals in a day. And that's the whole five or six meals. It was a bit much for me at that point. I said, I'm going to obviously get my time, my meals properly after practice. I'm going to make sure I get all the meals I need and the supplements that I need. And I'm just, whatever my weight is, my weight is going to be, I'm, I'm not going to focus so much on that. I'm going to focus how I feel on court. And that's when things start to go better. So it wasn't, it's never really been a key point of emphasis on like, you know, we need to work on the legs. We need to work on the core. It hasn't been like that. My programs are, are, are built. I allow my shoulder conditioning coaches to kind of take full reign on that. I understand it, but it's, I allow them to kind of just tell me what I need to do and I'm going to do it. But in terms of like, oh, you need to get stronger, you need to get this. As long as I continue to stay healthy, my body's in good shape, which it has been, knock on wood, I feel like I'm okay. One more thing I want to just ask you is, is your interests, hobbies off court, outside of tennis? You were saying how much it is so nice to get your mind off tennis. Um, what else do you like to do outside the court? Ah, that's a very, very good question. So I, I, I dibble dabble in a lot of different things not and I would say not not too many things am I like gun ho like this is what I do like immediately after I, I really really enjoy music music, music. is what I, yeah music is always what, do you play an instrument uh so I grew up playing drums and piano when I was nice. uh, young so that's probably one of my biggest I'm any and you know nerdy stuff so like, I, I enjoy you know looking watching listening to finance podcasts i enjoy okay. researching different cryptocurrency just stuff to do just kind of keeps your, the mind what was your sharp. major i was a business major business okay so um everything from you know cryptocurrencies to to different index funds and, and just kind of going to youtube and looking at the investor channels and saying oh what's going up what's going down just kind of you know being aware of things like that but nothing that's you know is a an immediate like ah oh, this is what I have to do. It's just kind of something like what am I feeling like today? Do I want to any other sport? Oh man, I love basketball. I love yeah. football. Love baseball season. So anything sports related, it's, it's definitely I would say my number one. After that, say music. After that, it kind of just goes. Do you into, sing? No, 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 no. Oh, not even close. It's gonna put you on the spot. No, there. not even close. Oh. I felt that was coming. I was gonna make sure <laughs> I had to go ahead and get that out there. Absolutely not. Great to listen back to that conversation with Christopher Eubanks, who has finally cracked the code and made it into the top 100 this week. And good luck to him for the rest of the year. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Like Eubanks, another American, Michael Moe, is used to jumping between Challenger Tour and ATP Tour. And with that, life comes a lot of getting from A to B. Hey guys, this is Michael Moe. Come see what I travel with. One thing that always gets me right in the morning, I'm pretty sure I'm the only guy on tour that travels with this. This is called an Afro sponge. I don't know if you see my hair, but like the little spikes that I have, that's all because of this. It's all because of these little holes. They get rid of that, that bed hair that I have in the morning. I don't know if you want a little demo of it. I think we should see a demo. This is a little demo. I'm never putting a hat on when I'm playing. I actually tried a couple years ago. Um, I think it was like my second Grand Slam match. I was playing Gilles Simon. Um, I got broken to go down 3-0 in the first. 
I ripped the hat off and I threw it over the fence and that was the last time I ever wore a hat, especially while playing tennis. You just can't, you can't play anything on top of this. This is another key to travel. If I'm flying, I'm listening to music almost every second of the whole journey. I'm probably having these things on for like 20 hours plus. This is, uh, you know, a big piece in my wardrobe. So this is the next piece, my four leaf clover lucky bracelet. Funny backstory to this bracelet. Um, I lost last round of qualies of Australian Open. And at the time there was two spots to get in Australian Open and there was four players that were being drawn. And I was four out of four. So at that point, I didn't think I was gonna get in. I was ready to you know, fly back home and everything. Me and my coach, Zach, we walked to the Van Cleef store, but we just saw this one bracelet and it happens to be a four leaf clover. And we had an idea, if I do get in, the plan was to buy it, if I do get in. If I don't get in, I'm not buying it. And uh, ended up getting the call like literally an hour before my match. At the time, I was at the hotel. I already booked my flight. I was packing my bags and everything. Got the call, ended up not buying it until I won two more rounds. By that point, it had to be done. Game set a match, man. Easily the biggest, the biggest day of his career. It's my lucky bracelet. I bring it with me everywhere. This is the last item. This is actually something I put in that little thing when I hop out on court. Um, I know everything that's written on it. It's all like, you know, just important things about my game, you know, just my identity on court and some of the things that I need to remember when I am dealing with adversity. Uh, just some key points and um, along, you know, with my coach and I, we wrote this and I feel like it's really been helping. Weather the storm and keep adapting. That's your biggest strength. They will always hit some highlight reels and that's completely fine but that doesn't mean that they're going to win the match. You're always going to be stronger. In the top 100, everyone can hit a forehand. Everyone can hit a backhand. Everyone's going to hit amazing shots. Everyone's capable of coming out on a certain day and just playing too good. So you got to be able to, to realize that and realize that like you can do it too. And sometimes this uh, notepad kind of reminds me of that and just keeps me locked in on the right track. This is the paper. Thankfully, it doesn't go near any of my sweaty clothes. I put my sweaty clothes on the right side and this hangs in the little left pouch over here. You gotta protect the blueprint, man. You gotta protect the blueprint. Thanks guys. Hope you enjoyed some of the things that I travel with and see you next time. Finally this week, with a tour title already under his belt this year, 22-year-old Argentine Sebastian Baez is one to watch in 2023. But it was around this time last year when things really started to ramp up for him. Under the guidance of long-time coach Sebastian Gutierrez, he managed to claim his very first tour title in Estoril, beating America's Francis Tiafo in the process. It was an amazing week, I think. Outside the court was better to my coach, uh, to to enjoy the the place, the hotel, the the cities. Historically, it's too nice, but that week was an amazing players, uh, amazing opponents like Silic, Gasquet, uh, every single player. But I don't know. All the year was was too nice because. It was my first year on, on the ATP Tour, 
So in all tournament was my first time and always when you look all new, you are nervous. Uh, you don't know how, how you have to feel, how you have to do, but I'm happy to, to live all the, all the moments. And now with the experience and everything, I will try to do better because this is my second year, so it's my second time. So <laughs> I try to, to do better than the first. So obviously you're from Argentina. Had you ever played in Portugal before, uh, even as a junior? No, never. It was the first time. So. And you've mentioned your coach a few times, Sebastian Gutierrez, yeah. who you've been working with since uh, 2015. Yes. And that's a long, long collaboration. What is it about him that you like so much? I think everything, because I found on him uh, like a teacher. And it's not like a normal teacher and you say, okay, he's my coach and that's all. No, no, I think it's my coach on the life. So the life is more important. It, it's not more important. It's, it's the, the life is the life, but the part of tennis is the professional life. Mm. It's, it's not all the person have. So it's in that moment to, to be a part of the life. Maybe, I don't know, the career or, or the, of the tennis player, maybe 15 years or 20 or 10. And after that, you are a person. Yes. So, so it's important to you to have a, a long-range view. Yes. And have a, a growth mindset where you're not just getting better as a tennis player, but getting better as a person. Yes. And that's what he brings to the table yes. more than anything else. He always tried to, to teach me... Um, it's impossible to be a good player if you are not a, a good person. Mm. It's impossible because it's all connected. Because how you how I can say uh, how you resolve the problems on the court, you resolve the problems outside on the life. So always it's like a how you say uh, like a window. Yes, like a window every time. If you look bad on the court. You are bad outside. Right. So it's and it's the two go hand in hand. Yes, everything. Uh, that's a so yeah, lovely, yes. a lovely thing to say. I know someone yeah. uh, from your country, Argentina, who's really helped you a lot is Juan Martín del Potro. He's been a bit of a mentor to you. Is that still the case? Uh, yes, I think yes, but uh, because he's have a good relationship with my coach because he helps him when he come back on the 2016. Uh, he was on the part of the uh, of the team of the Copa Davis after they won the Copa Davis, was an amazing, everything. And after after that year, uh, Del Potro started to, uh, to practice with another coach, but always have a good relationship, always have sent message or or if we need something or we want, uh, I don't know, something to hear w f from him, he always stay there. Uh, so it's, I don't know, I don't know too much, but I know he's, he's a good guy and of course was an amazing, amazing player. After the top, the big four, I don't know, maybe he was the... He was the next one, Yeah, wasn't the it? next one, yeah. When he won that US Open, it was just incredible. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. What did uh, that do to inspire you? Do you remember when you were younger? <sighs> a lot. I, thi I, I think a lot. But 
I never saw him like a a window, you know, because he <laughs> he's too high. He's, <laughs> he's so powerful. So he's the so game tall. is all different. It's all different, but but the the feelings or or the fight or or the result he have to to the big big uh, players like Roger, like Nadal, like Djokovic. And all the battles mm. he he had with uh, with against that guys was an a big inspiration, you know, because it's it's, it's an amazing. He he won the um, no 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 one, but he lost on the final Olympic Games. Yes, that's correct. And before that, he lost the he lost, but he won the third place, I think. Got the bronze medal. Yes. Mm. So that things for me is so special because I love to play for Argentina. So I always dream with with one the Olympic Games. <laughs> it's like like a child, but but in that tournament I saw him and I said I want to be there. But when you are a kid, you don't know the things you have to do to be there. And after I, now I have 22, and now I know how. I have the, the the I have do the things to do to be there, but it's it's, <laughs> it's different because now I know it's too too hard. So in in this in this place who where, where I am, I look him and I say, "You are amazing, man. You are amazing." Um, you don't quite have the height advantage of one Martin Del Potro. It helps being that tall. How do you, at five foot seven, combat the huge power and the big kick serves of the ATP Tour these days? It's amazing your physicality. To me, you never miss a backhand return. How is that possible? Me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, but it's all all practice. It's all practice. We practice a lot with with my coach. We always try to do the job as better we can. Uh, try to to think about all the points uh, all the all, all the game okay he he likes more here but not too much here so try to be here and after you have to move to that to the other place and after you have to, to to do the slice and after more more up because he's too too much uh too much to, to the back yes. so so you have to keep them yeah. back and then use your and attributes so and you are qu yeah. very very fast. That helps too. Yes. So I I, I try to to use that because if I play I don't know with Juan Martin, I have to use that because <laughs> I I I'm not more powerful like him. Mm. So I have to to use another things. So always try to do the other things. Try to do better every day, and the things I have uh, to be more confident every day. And the things is to I don't know not too good uh, try to practice 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 and I don't know some days maybe I do better but I will try there's a lot of life lessons in what yeah. you've taught me and I can't let you go finally without letting me know what you felt about Argentina's World Cup victory <laughs> <laughs> was an, a big party you know in all the country amazing amazing when in when Montiel do the the last goal on mm. the on the penalties I don't know. I remember when we are six six person looking the match, and one person say goal and be flat on the <laughs> on the floor, and 
all six, we, we are up, up you here. jumped on him. Yeah. <laughs> Crying, oh. say, we can't believe it, we won't. It wasn't amazing. I always, and outside the house, on the on the street, mm. all the people yeah. crying. All the people <laughs> say we are the champion. The the cars, every person now was amazing. And after on the obelisk was yeah unbelievable. The most magical feeling. Magical, magical. Well, was I can't wait for you to start winning some uh, majors. You'll probably have the same feeling yourself. Yes, I think it was <laughs> the and in that day it was 20 of December. I think it was the the best gift. Of of Christmas for sure, Christmas. yes, for all the year, everything. <laughs> and the more special things is Messi won the World Cup. He deserved it a lot. He's I don't know. He's the best on the on all the all the sports. I think an absolute genius. Genius. It's it's impossible to describe him. Impossible. Impossible. On that note, I will say very much thank you to Sebastian Byers. It's uh, been lovely to have you on the AGP podcast. Thank you to you to, <laughs> to use this time to speak with you and I hope to see you later. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sebastian Baez with Candy Reed, and our thanks to him and all of our guests this week. For more interviews, remember to check back with the podcast channel every Wednesday to watch live tour action head to Tennis TV. You can download that as an app too. For scores and updates, get the ATP WTA Live app. And for tons of news and features, looking ahead to this week's events in Houston, Marrakesh and Estoril, take a look at atptour.com. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis. <laughs>